Hey friends, welcome to this episode of the Binge Dietitian Podcast. I'm going to bring up an old episode which was filmed a year ago, but an amazing guest which I want to bring up again, which is Natalie Rose Allen, or also known as in Instagram or TikTok as Wake Up and Small the Rose. So Natalie Rose Allen is a registered psychotherapist which specifically focuses on improving your body image and eating disorders, or disordered eating as well, and she'll be talking about in this episode coping strategies, what to do post-binge, pre-binge, what to do when you feel the immense guilt, shame and embarrassment after a binge, and mindfulness, how to get yourself out of that rut, essentially. So without further ado, let's get straight to the podcast. Yeah, for sure. My name is Natalie Rose. I'm a psychotherapist based out of Toronto, Canada. And I specialize in working with adolescents and adults who are struggling with disordered eating, eating disorders, and body image. And a major part of what led me into this career path is has been my own experiences with chronic dieting, binge eating, that diet restrict binge cycle, and overcoming a lot of my own personal challenges with, with disordered eating and body image. Um, so when I was doing my master's to become a therapist, my, I started an Instagram where I would post my breakfast every day and I would talk about my own experiences overcoming dieting, like why, you know, I choose these foods now instead of in the past, you know, I might have restricted carbohydrates or something like that. Um, and as I kept posting, it was kind of like a creative outlet for me. So it just helped me express myself. And I was making these like beautiful looking bowls and it was like a hobby. Um, but I was connecting with a lot of people who had shared similar experiences. So they would ask me questions like um, one question, for example, I didn't quite have the answer to. They were saying, how do you stop calorie counting? So this was coming from individuals who had an obsession with calorie counting. And although I had, you know, dabbled in tracking calories in the past, I'd never felt I was unable to stop it. So I, I you know, that led me into further research and trying to understand um, the answers to that question. And so as my community on Instagram was growing and I was becoming a therapist and practicing psychotherapy, I, you know, the two sort of merged and I, uh, chose to specialize in disordered eating and eating disorders. And I guess somewhere along the lines, I healed from my own disordered eating. It's ironic because I never actually, received formal treatment for disordered eating. I never spoke to a therapist about disordered eating, but a huge part of my recovery was seeking therapy. So I was in therapy to basically learn more about how to understand my inner world, like, you know, my emotions, what were they? What did I need? Who, you know, was I? How did I connect to myself and connect to other people? And I think through developing self-awareness and tools to cope with emotions, that helped me sort of indirectly stop binge eating and dieting along with, you know, other sources of support like anti-diet dietitians on social media and sort of all these um, demystifying like food fears um, that also played into it as well. 
but basically, yeah, like I just had tried every diet in the book and they always failed. And I always, um, just felt more and more out of control with food and with my weight. And just over time, like really had to reject the diet mentality, um, learn more about my inner, my emotional world and how to cope and how to engage in self-care, um, true self-care, which is not what dieting and disordered (laughs) eating often entails. Yeah, wow, that's very interesting. And it was really interesting that you mentioned, Natalie, about that you took therapy, even though you were a therapist, because you wouldn't think, you would kind of assume that therapists already have it, have it all together. But from what it seemed, that taking therapy helped you unpack, unpack your disordered eating habits. So, yeah, and... It just shows that you don't have to always head to one specific person. Sometimes it's about like looking to that therapist to help you just uh, unpack those emotions from an external external source. Definitely. Mm. Yeah, that was actually really emphasized to us also in, in my training. Most of our training, or at least the first year of it, was all about self-care how do you become so aware of your own thoughts, biases, beliefs, and how do you manage your emotions so that you can help yourself first? And that's the only way you could ever help people. So yeah, we were strongly advised to go to therapy and I would recommend it for anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Help yourself so you can help other people. That's very, very powerful. So self-care was very important for you. And what tips would you have for people who are struggling with disordered eating? What kind of self-care tips would you give to help relieve the stress, guilt, shame? So self-care can can be so many different things and it can be different choices at different times. So for example, If someone who's struggling with their relationship with exercise has been maybe, you know, forcing themselves to exercise every single day, despite being tired or injured, that's disordered. And so a self-care behavior would be to stop and take at least, you know, one day off and, and rest, um, for another person, I know, for example, in my experience, like when I was struggling with binge eating, when I was in a binge phase, I would not exercise at all. When I was in a diet phase, I would exercise every day. So my self-care would be if I've binged and I'm feeling bad about myself, I still need to encourage myself to engage in some kind of gentle movement, not nothing that's punishing Um, just some kind of gentle movement to go against that shame that wanted me to just kind of hide. So that's an example of self-care. It could also be instead of pushing down your emotions and using food to numb your emotions or just soothe yourself, it might be finding a way to express those emotions or at least reflect on them, maybe through journaling or talking to someone supportive and trustworthy um, 
those are a couple of examples of self-care I can think of. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's really difficult when we're so fueled with shame discussed with ourselves sometimes if that's not well actually that's being honest so accurate yeah (laughs) yeah so all of these behaviors extreme behaviors um like over exercising is for example can be a result of how we feel about ourselves our self-esteem and it's really powerful how simple something simple as food can completely change our life and change our mindset about everything we do we couldn't stop thinking about it couldn't stop uh, dreaming about it what would you do what would you suggest for people who couldn't stop thinking about food 24 7 is there anything we can do yeah I think you know you made a really good point that it often ties into self-esteem and how we relate to ourselves and how we relate to others so I think, you know, when we're obsessing about something like food or body image or exercise, it's kind of our brain's way of taking us out of these uncomfortable feelings and emotions like grief, loss, um, fear, loneliness, um, sadness. Like these are all really difficult emotions. And if someone is not really, you you know, equipped to cope with those emotions or doesn't feel like they have enough support, then it's kind of like their their brain is taking over and saying, you know, let me take you out of that feeling and into all these thoughts about something else, something that you can control. So yeah, I think it's, you know, if therapy is accessible for someone, definitely to be able to kind of unpack you know, what's underneath that obsession with, with a therapist who specializes in eating disorders. Um, or if not, you know, sort of just being curious about it, gathering information, looking into it rather than, you know, just feeling shameful about it and continuing in that direction. Mm, Yeah. Because sometimes food wouldn't like solve everything. Like, yeah, you might be having a better relationship with food, but it's not going to solve your body image issues. It's not going to solve um, any trauma that's been, that hasn't been unpacked. What about those people who are struggling with their body image? Is there anything they can do? Yeah, I think body image, you know, one of the first steps to, to getting through that is really like building that awareness around where they developed that body image from, like what led to its formation. So, you know, this usually involves the messages that we've heard about our body, Mm. um, which could be, for example, um, things we've heard from family members telling us about, you know, how our body should look or if we need to change our weight or something like that usually those like messages we receive really early in our life become sort of like the seed (laughs) it's like they've planted the seeds for then us you know really hyper focusing on our body and needing it to look a certain way to feel accepted then there's also just the widespread messaging on social media and you know, our culture that's obsessed with thinness where we're kind of always getting these messages that, you know, our body should be different than it is now. 
Mm. Um, but really looking into who is perpetuating those messages and where are those messages coming from? So if it's from diet culture, we're being sold products to buy into. So they're, they're telling us these messages because they want us to, to buy into this, you know, multi-billion dollar industry. Um, if we received harmful messages from people in our life, that's stemming from their own insecurities and anxieties and the impacts of diet culture. So it sometimes just takes the the pressure sometimes alleviates that like core belief that there's just something defectively wrong with us. Mm. You know, it's like, no, actually we learned to think that way about ourselves. We learned to view ourselves this way. So we can unpack those messages and, and start to slowly unlearn them or at least create space for them while focusing on ways that we can build a better relationship with our body. Yeah. Wow. And coming from that, because you mentioned um, we can have these diet uh, culture messages from parents. And one of the common questions I get is, this might be a curveball question, but what can you do if you're just living with your parents and then you're constantly being judged for what you eat or what you get out of the cupboards? What can we do to alleviate the shame and guilt when you're living with the people who might be judging you? Yeah, it's a really tough spot to be in because even if you do set boundaries or, you know, assert yourself and say, you know, please don't comment on what I'm eating or, you know, you're incorrect, like this is what I need right now. Um, often people with strong beliefs, you know, don't really respond well to those kinds of boundaries and you can't really make them change their mind. So, it's hard. A lot of self-compassion, um, hopefully building a support network outside of that family system. And hopefully one day being able to make more space between anyone who makes you feel bad about your body. You know, that space is really necessary. Mm, yeah, I think that's a, that's really like encouraging for people who are listening and um, they feel like they're enclosed by living by with people who are constantly shaming them. And I think working from that, I think it is also nice to be speaking with a therapist to have an external um, voice, someone who is just encouraging you, telling them, no, it's not always correct from what people are saying, no matter who they are. And yeah, and if you're struggling and you're listening with this to this podcast, if you're struggling uh, and you feel like you're enclosed living with people who are constantly judging you, whether it's uh, university flatmates, you, um, you're living in a school, you're living in a boarding house, you're living with parents, highly recommend speaking with a psychotherapist that specializes in binge eating, aka Natalie. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really really helpful. Um, and are there any, because going back to binge eating, are there any actionable steps um, someone listening right now can do to, like once they once they have a binge, we're just most vulnerable to like having these voices in our head telling us like, oh, why did you do that? Or you should have done better. You didn't work hard enough. We're just most vulnerable to these very negative uh, messages coming from our head. 
what can we do right after a binge to alleviate or get us through these very vulnerable messages? Yeah, it's such a uncomfortable place to be in right after a binge. It's mm. pretty awful because the shame is so overwhelming and you just kind of want to hide from the world. Um, one really helpful skill that we talk about in therapy is opposite action. So when you are engulfed in a big emotion like that, and it's having a negative impact on your life, like it's making you want to skip classes or skip social events or things that are meaningful and important. You want to do the complete opposite to get out of that emotion. So that would be the complete opposite of shame is self-compassion. It's showing up even when you want to hide. It's talking to yourself kindly trying to understand yourself versus shaming and criticizing and putting yourself down. So, you know, be curious about what led to this binge. Like, have I been extremely stressed? Did, did I accidentally, you know, skip a meal or some snacks, you know, earlier on in the week and my hunger is catching up to me? Uh, was I feeling anxious at that party where I just felt like, I couldn't handle that anxiety and binging was the only way I knew how to cope in that moment. So by being curious, you can then start to get answers and then work through the triggers rather than staying engulfed in shame. You know, you're kind of just, you want to hide, you want to punish yourself with a strict diet, you want to pretend it didn't happen altogether. So you never really get to reflect on those triggers and what you might be really needing. Mm, yeah. So what is it called again? Opposite? Opposite action. Opposite action. Yes. Wow. So you take the action that's opposite to what your current emotion is prompting you to do. So if you're feeling intense shame after a binge, you're probably having an urge to hide, criticize, isolate yourself. Those are the actions that your big emotion is compelling you to do, but you want to get out of that emotion. So you do the opposite action. So you speak kindly to yourself, you show up somewhere, you reveal, maybe talk about what you feel shameful of, like, you know, releasing it can alleviate shame, have compassion, try to understand yourself and try to also recognize that you're not alone mm. and find a way to actually make yourself feel better. So try to meet the need, try to soothe yourself versus shaming yourself and criticizing. Wow. Opposite action. Do you think, um, is it one of those things that is really difficult uh, at first? And then the more you build onto it, the more, um, you try to be more mindful of to implement opposite action. Do you think it's something that gets easier over time? Definitely. Yeah. It's one of those things that feels so contradictory, <laughs> you know, because when you're in a big emotion, all you can feel and experience is that emotion. And that's all you, you, you know, your brain kind of wants to sit in that. So opposite emotion feels very unnatural, but once you start to experience the benefits of it, 
you start to really believe in using it as a tool. Another example of using opposite action is if you have binged or maybe before a binge, but you're having an urge to restrict, like you're thinking, oh no, I shouldn't eat that or Mm. I should skip dinner because I'm going to have, you know, a big meal tomorrow or, you know, whatever the reason is having an urge to restrict, you want to do the opposite of that. You want to eat something because restriction almost always leads to binge eating. Mm. So it, it applies to so many things, really. It's not just after a binge. It's like um, throughout the day when you're having difficult emotions. Yeah. Wow, that's really powerful. I've never heard of it, but now I'm going to like implement it. And people who are listening, you should definitely implement it. Wow. Yeah, thank you, Natalie. Well, I guess um, that's really, really helpful. And you just really like uh, inspired me in so many things. So for those who are listening, where can people find you? Just if they want to work with a psychotherapist who struggled with binge eating and also specializes in helping people with eating disorders and disordered eating. Yeah, you can find me at Wake Up and Smell the Rosé on Instagram or TikTok. Also, my website is wakeupandsmelltherosé.com. Yeah, oh, that's amazing. And um, those who are listening, I'm going to link her links, Natalie's links in the description of this podcast so it's easy to find. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Natalie, for coming along today. And I really appreciate all the knowledge you just shared with us. Wow. Opposite action. That's really mm-hmm. powerful. Okay. Yeah. If there, is there just one final send-off message you would give to anyone who's struggling with binge eating or just feeling massively low at the moment? Yeah, I would just encourage you to remember that you know, binge eating is the most common of the eating disorders. So many people experience it, yet every single person who experiences it feels totally alone in their experience of it. So you're not alone. And, you know, as much as there is this urgency to fix it and get rid of it, try to slow down and, you know, be super curious and, in understanding how you can help yourself. So I hope that helps anyone um, who's struggling right now. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you so much, Natalie, for coming along to this podcast. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me.